The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we check out the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is a bummer because I watched the Falcon and the Snowman instead, and Sean Payne was Sean Payne was just exquisite, you guys, seriously. But there's gaming, there's movies, there's comics and TV, but where are those good old-fashioned values on which we used to rely? Lucky, there's the Major Spoilers podcast, something, something, pumpkin pie, and it's on the Welcome to issue 925 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and uh, checking us out this week. Ladies and gentlemen, we are one week away from having uh, 100% American citizens on this show. We can't talk about it today, but we'll definitely talk about it uh, next week. But uh, we also talked a little bit about it in the pre-show. We also talked about, what else did we talk about? Uh, We talked about gaming and Magic the Gathering and uh, the 1980s and 90s. It's all good times over there in our Major Spoilers pre-show, which you can get over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. But we do have everybody here today, and I'm very excited about that. How about we jump into some news? Rodrigo, start us off this week. Okay. Uh, The World of Darkness, which began in 1991 with Vampire the Masquerade, is headed to both the big and small screens in the near future. According to Variety, Eric Heiserer, and Christine Boylan and the Hive Mind production company have teamed up for the projects. There are no distribution deals yet, so the World of Darkness team can keep their options open, and the team expects to announce development on specific titles in the coming year. Rodrigo, are you excited about this? It's it's Vampire the Masquerade and World of Darkness. I mean, I am a little bit, but also I'm worried because... Um, if you read the Variety article, it like spends a good solid third of the article talking about how um, inclusive and open to like minorities and stuff the World of Darkness is. And uh, l- literally one of the companies that had the World of Darkness was like dissolved over like allegations. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, because I noticed the isn't it White Wolf? Don't they aren't they the ones that have the vampire uh, property? So White Wolf had it, then uh, CCP had it. Ah, uh, okay. Um, then uh, Onyx Path was doing it for a while. Then Paradox, uh, the video game guys, uh, now have it. Um. And just recently, there's been some like pretty bad scandals mm-hmm. with that. Like mm-hmm. one of the, like their latest books, I want to say, used the like, like a, a, the Chechnyan like uh, gay like crisis like murders to as like a backdrop. Mm. Oh, uh, for for one of the things is like vampires are doing this. And I was like, uh, so definitely, if you read that article, and it's like. World of Darkness is so good and inclusive. Like, take that with like a, a, a sizable amount of grains of salt. Maybe, maybe that, they'll try to correct that. Could be. It's weird that they're misrepresenting it, though. But yeah, maybe going forward, they'll be like, okay, we need to have this and this and this in mind. Yeah. So maybe that'll be good. So, Eric uh, Hesserer and Christine Boylan, they're married uh, 
And uh, Hesserer just recently did Shadow and Bone, which we talked a little bit about in the pre-show last right. week. And she was uh, one of the producers of The Punisher, so of right. the Netflix series. So if right. people are like, I have never heard of these people, and, probably you have. And the other one Hive Mind. Uh, was a producer for The Witcher. Oh, right, 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 right. On yeah. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there you go. All right, Ashley, what's next? Yeah, well, speaking of streaming giants, Disney News, Disney has tapped Chanaka Hodge to serve as the head writer, because we don't have showrunners anymore, for the upcoming Ironheart series at the company's streaming service. Ironheart will star Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams, a genius inventor who reverse engineers the Iron Man suit to create one of her own. Hodge has worked on amazing stories at Apple, Snowpiercer at TNT, and has also written two books of poetry, which is so cool. Currently, Marvel has not announced the release date for Ironheart, but the way these shows are coming up, I bet we get it by the end of this year. Uh, the announcement of when the show's coming out or the actual show by the end of the year? No, the announcement. And then oh, we'll okay. get the show probably in early next year. I, you, was, I, I was really surprised because, you know, they, uh, Disney or Marvel Studios, just released that uh, little uh, syrupy uh, hype sizzle reel trailer for everything that's coming up in the uh, right. in the next like three years. And not once did they pop up, I think. But they they included um, Loki because in there. The shows don't matter to the movies, I guess, because I, I remember seeing the Loki, <laughs> the Loki logo I thought was in there. But maybe these were only the movie, the movie bits. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I have to go back and rewatch that again. But uh, I don't know. They surely did use that same Fantastic Four number four, though, and tell us nothing more about it. Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, but a lot of people, that's what. Here's the other thing about that video. I really liked it. It's got some syrupy moments. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's uh, there to get you hyped and get you excited about going back to the movies. But I saw nothing after that except uh, people were like, oh, this new trailer reveals all about the Eternals. And I'm like, first of all, it's not a trailer for the Eternals. And all it does is show like two shots from the Eternals movie. That's not revealing all. That's I mean, it revealed that they didn't. They didn't dye Richard Madden's beard, so well, yeah. I guess. I, I just thought, I just think some of these hot takes that people are posting just to get the clicks are mm -hmm. just ridiculous. Because I was like, no, wait, this all there, the title, it's it's just that sizzle reel, people. It's it's nothing. Just skip it. Uh, no one knows anything about the Eternals except for the creators. And, except for Chloe Zhao. <laughs> and Chloe Zhao, which the only, there was an interesting article a couple of weeks, or maybe it was last week, on a Variety or The Hollywood Reporter. doesn't matter. They're both the same site anymore. Uh, anyway, because they're owned by the same company. But there was a really great piece where um, uh, Chloe and uh, Kevin Feige had to go and convince the Disney execs that they could shoot this movie with practical effects and practical locations instead mm -hmm. of doing everything uh, green screen and CG like they've been doing. And then they had to go and sneak out and do their own little sizzle reel to show that they could do it. And the execs were like, this is the greatest CG ever. And they're like, no, this is actually shooting in a location because it's cheaper to do that. And they're like, oh, okay. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Matthew and I kind of talked about that last week during the dueling review pre-show that we, uh, yeah. that we stream live on our discord server for people to go check out. But I'm kind of looking forward to Ironheart. I don't know about you guys, Matthew, you're looking forward to it. I am. I I'm actually a fan of Ironheart, but you know what else I'm looking forward to? What's that? Everyone's favorite Green Lantern, not named Rutlop fan, has been found. You guys. Finn Whitrock, which is a great name. Finn Whitrock has been cast as Guy Gardner for the upcoming Green Lantern series at HBO Max. Uh, you may remember uh, Gardner being created as Hal Jordan's backup back in 1968, created by Gil Kane and John Broom, 
like Green Lantern himself, Hal Jordan, uh, really came into his own in the 80s and 90s when he got a bad haircut and joined Keith Giffen's Justice League. Uh, currently, HBO Max has ordered 10 one-hour episodes, which totals up to 9 hours and 47 minutes, co-written and executive produced by Greg Berlanti, Seth Graham Smith, and Mark Guggenheim. And i got to say, I'm kind of interested, even though I'm worried that they've, you know, they've gone with the uh, retro 80s knee-jerk jerk Guy Gardner. Well, now, Guy Gardner isn't going to be the star. He's one of the Green Lanterns that right. uh, that will be in this series. So the Guy Gardner one is the one they've been announced. There will probably be a Hal Jordan. There will probably yeah. be a Jon Stewart. Uh, there probably will probably be a, be a Kilowog. So, uh, yeah, don't everybody get uh, too worked up that this is going to be a Guy Gardner series, although... I mean, that might be interesting, but I, but I doubt I'd, it. I'd love to see a Guy Gardner series because then you could have him stop being a jerk. I wonder, uh, I wonder if they're going to cast the squirrel from Flora and Ulysses as uh, Nort. Mm, or no, Chip, right? Chip. Yeah, Chip. Yeah. 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 Nort will actually be dog. played by the dog that uh, the lady in the tramp. turned into in the Shaggy <laughs> DA. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. We're going to wrap up our news this week by letting you know about a little something that may be exciting to you. You're not going to have to wait until Thanksgiving to attend your next comic book convention. DC Comics is bringing back DC Fandom for a second edition in October of this year. Last year, the DC Fandom streamed eight hours of content over a 24-hour period and brought in 22 million views from 22 countries and territories. DC Fandom 2021, the second edition, launches on October 16th. Uh, This is basically a month before, not quite a month, but maybe a little over a month before the um the San Diego Comic-Con Thanksgiving event that's happening. And I can't help but wondering if, because of the success of last year, I wrote about it this week in the Major Spoilers Weekly, a weekly email that I send out to uh, everyone who subscribes to it. More information over at Majorspoilers.com. But I pretty much hypothesize that Warner Brothers and AT&T are done spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, to bring celebrities down to San Diego Comic-Con, and they can get more views and more hype off of a, uh, you know, an eight hours worth of video packed into a weekend than they could, you know, doing anything at the San Diego Comic-Con. So while they may still allow DC Comics people to go there, often on their own expense, um, they're, I think they're done with San Diego and New York and uh, Emerald City to do their big media events. Any I other mean, thoughts? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, it it just makes sense. I mean, if you can get the Hall H, which is where, you know, Warner Brothers would do a lot of their big things, hold 6,100 people at max. Yeah, 20... I mean, you know, it's also cheaper than flying Gal Gadot from her mansion exactly. in Tel Aviv. Yeah, like that's, having that's her open saying. her computer at an inconvenient time during the day because of time zones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and most of those packages that they did for Fandom are pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like they're dealing with any live issues that result in that. And I got to say that the fandom stuff that they had last year was pretty slick and did get a lot of people hyped for it. So I think 22 outweighs 6,100 any or 22 million outweighs 6,100 any day of the week. And I think that we may be seeing Warner brothers uh, step back from that. So there you go. Listeners, you can join the conversation about these stories and more over on our Discord server. As I've mentioned, you can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free, or you can link your Patreon account to Discord and get access to even more features Find out more about that at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let us now jump into some reviews. Ashley has been pretty busy with some other important things in her life. So she's going to have a review uh, this week, but feel free to comment on anything we have to say. Uh, But coming out, uh, what was it? Last week, Rodrigo, Resident Alien, your ride's here number five. Rodrigo's all down for this series, ladies and gentlemen. 
yes. Uh, Resident Evil, your ride is here. Um, it's almost over. Uh, I don't like. I, I keep meaning to check if this is officially going to be the last volume of Resident Alien. I keep forgetting to. Um, but uh, um, in this issue, this is right after uh, there is a kidnapping attempt. Harry intervenes. Uh, Harry is the the titular alien. Um, And here things are starting to settle down a little bit, but also uh, there's an agent that's after him, and the agent basically knows that that Harry's an alien, and uh, the the final steps of Harry being able to go home or to execute a plan uh, that he was meant to execute a long time ago are sort of coming together. Um, it's it's interesting, you know. I what I like about Resident Alien is kind of when it's not being alieny. I like taking a step back and being like, oh yeah, this like slow Columbo type like investigative comic is like. Like the main character just happens to be a purple alien, right? Um, so uh, it's enjoyable. Uh, you know, uh, Peter Hogan is still writing a good book, and uh, Parkhouse is still like his art is like really great. It just like really brings uh, a real kind of um, light, you know, to people's faces. Like his facial expressions are always great. Um, the way that he sort of stages scenes and characters, I, I like a lot. It's really expressive. You can flip through an issue of Resident Alien and kind of know what's going on without reading the word balloons. Um, except, of course, for the larger overarching plot, which can get a little complicated. I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf. Um, and uh, I think the next issue is probably coming out in a couple weeks. All right, there you go. Uh, so here are two things that uh, that really uh, chat my hide, grind my cheese, whatever you want to say. And they are things that I think some people say to um, people from other countries that they think is a compliment, but is incredibly racist. The first one is, oh, you speak English very well. And, uh, you know, my wife's reply is always, that's because I was born here, you idiot. Uh, sure. The other one that I hear not as frequently as your English is very good. Uh, but the other one that I hear is, Oh, but you're one of the good ones. And yeah, that, I mean, we had a long talk after our dueling review recording session with our, our patrons last, uh, last week about some of those things. But, um, you know, that's something that is said and that's something that has been a, a, a racist statement that it goes back, you know, from the very, you know, time that anyone who was not white, uh, stepped foot on America and so that brings us to the good Asian number one from Pornsack Picochet and Alexandra Trefinky. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm, I'm sorry. But um, so the good Asian is a story about an Asian detective from Hawaii, because in the United States, um, um, Asian police or police officers or detectives didn't come about until like the 1950s. But it tells the story of um, Edison Hark, who was kind of adopted or semi-adopted into a white family in San Francisco um, during the time when the uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act uh, um, saw a lot of these uh, immigrants come of age uh, and not know anything their entire lives except that uh, Chinese people were not allowed into the United States. 
But he was adopted by kind of a wealthy white family. But at some point they had a falling out. We don't know so much about that in the story. But but he goes off to Hawaii where they do allow uh, Asians to become uh, detectives and uh, high ranking police officers. This story brings him back to San Francisco when his adoptive father, not really adoptive because he's not really adopted into the family officially, um, has kind of fallen ill. And he wants uh, Edison to go and find um, this woman that he may be having an affair with, uh, another Asian woman there in in uh, San Francisco. And unfortunately, because he's a te- detective in Hawaii, he's also kind of recognized in the United States as a detective as well. So anytime that he is trying to do his investigation, he's running into police officers and they're allowing him to do his thing uh, because of his of his rank from uh, another place that isn't even a state yet at this point. And he's he's got some problems with that because they look at him as the quote unquote the good Asian, which is where the title of the comic book comes from. But at the same time, they're making him do all the really crummy stuff, not, you know, just beating the crap out of of uh, Chinese and, and other Asian immigrants. Uh, but because the the Asian community trusts him because he is Asian, he ends up getting information from them that ends up costing or causing um you know, I wouldn't say harm, in some cases harm, but certainly a, a lot of sadness in these people when he still has to do his job as a police officer. And this is putting him in a sticky situation, especially when the the Tongs, the 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 Chinese mafia, uh, seem to be involved in some of the crimes that he is investigating or the missing woman woman case that he's investigating. It it is a great noir detective story. This is really great. Uh, Pornsack uh, Picochet um, has said that he has based uh, the character of Edison Hark on um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chang Apana, who was a real uh, Chinese detective in Hawaii who did a lot of investigative work in California, uh, but mostly in in um, in Hawaii. Uh, but this uh, uh, Chang Apana is also the character that they based Charlie Chan on. Um, years later. So there's, you know, a little bit of uh, history that's going on here. Certainly you get a, a little bit more information about the Chinese Exclusion Act of uh, 18, what is it, 1882 uh, in this in this story as well. And I think that for uh, Asian and Pacific Islanders Month, this is a book that you should probably check out. Um, regardless, I think this is a great story because it is a uh, a noir detective story, which I love. It is extremely well written. The art is extremely good. Uh, I just enjoyed this from top to bottom. It is very compelling. I think there's one or two little bits where it kind of jumps a little jerkily from one moment to the next, but it's very easy to follow. I can't wait to read the next nine issues. This is a planned as a nine issue miniseries to tell this one story. And then after that, if uh, they want to make it an ongoing, it will be an ongoing. But this is definitely, in my mind, a must-read story for anyone who is a fan of detective stories. And I'm a huge detective, uh, thriller, noir, uh, mystery guy. And so uh, this is this is good stuff. And it also gives you a little bit of a uh, little bit of education and history in the meantime. So five out of five slices of meatloaf, the good Asian number one, out this week from Image Comics. Let's jump back a week, Matthew, and take a look at Modoc Head Games number four. This is uh, just ahead of the the Modoc series coming to Hulu. Yep, this is the last issue of Head Games, uh, written, I think, partially 
written, co-written by Patton Oswalt, who's known mostly as a comedian, but was also one of the characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and then, of course, you have your regular art team. You got your Scott Hepburn, you got your Carlos Lopez, and Jordan Bloom as the co-writer. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of happy with this, because sometimes we talk about how your big, iconic characters, your Spider-Man, your Batman, your Wonder Woman, tend to be elastic to where you can tell different kinds of stories. You can tell a story where Spider-Man is just, you know, a lippy little kid, and you can tell a story where Spider-Man is an elder statesman, and it's still Spider-Man. And Pat Oswald specifically went in with the expectation that Modoc can be just like Batman, in that you can put him in an Adam West story or a Frank Miller story, or you can do a Christopher Nolan movie. And this issue, this whole four-issue arc, is designed to try and take all of the takes we've seen on Modoc, whether it be goofy guy who hangs out with Gwenpool and breaks the first wall, or the evil, evil uh, psychic character that we saw trying to kill Captain America. All of these characters are ex- a part and parcel of Modoc. Because, as you may know, he's got this big giant head. And in his big giant head, he has a whole lot of memories and computerized emotions. And some of those have been reprogrammed by his dad. Uh oh. Dun dun dun. So, yes, Modoc is trying to come to terms with the fact that sometimes he's this silly joke character and sometimes he's incredibly dangerous. And the man behind it is his own father. And about halfway through the issue, we get this moment where Modoc gets angry and destroys an entire building and sends his father flying halfway across the street. And I'm like, uh oh, that's bad. The giant psychic head is angry. But I think the moment that really sells it for me is he gets captured by AIM and they're trying to un they're trying to disarm him. Uh, so they're running down, he's got three vibanium buzzsaws, two flamethrowers, pim proxy particle mines, an antimatter laser cannon, temporal grenades, and a cell phone with an Uru case, because he doesn't want his cell phone to get broken. Also, there's watermelons, and if you want to know why those are there, I'll tell you later. Um, I gotta tell you, this is fun. It's not a perfect comic. It's not one of those books that I'm gonna tell you you need to go and show to all your friends, but it's fun. It's fast, it's witty, it's quick, puts Modoc in a different light, and I feel like it sets him up better to be the protagonist of an ongoing cartoon. So I'm going to go with three slices of meatloaf for Modoc colon head games number four. Well above average, funny book, but not a funny, funny book. If that makes sense, it has comedy, but there's actually more tragedy to this story than you'd expect, and I really appreciate that. Now there you go. All right. Uh, Matthew and Rodrigo, thank you for your reviews. And dear listeners, if you want even more reviews, you need to head over to Majorspoilers.com where we have reviews posted every single day of the week. If you're looking to find out what's going on in comics, if you are looking to find out a comic book that you can pick up, uh, you can certainly find more information at Majorspoilers.com. And here, check this out. Let's say that you pick up a uh, a review. Let's say you're reading one of the reviews over at Majorspoilers.com and you're like, huh, that's Cyberpunk 2077. You have my word number one. That sounds like a really good comic, and it reviewed really, really well. Man, I want to buy that comic. Well, guess what? Right inside of each one of those reviews, 
uh, for most comics. Now, some comics are not on Comixology, but for some of those comics, you'll see right under the cover, it says you can purchase this issue via the Comixology affiliate link. If you click on that, it'll take you over to Comixology, where you can purchase this issue digitally if you're not somebody who likes the physical copies. And the best thing is, when you make the purchase through the link over at Majorspoilers.com, a little bit, and I mean a little bit, comes back our way and allows us to keep this show going week after week. You know who else keeps this show going? Mike, Stephen, and Keepa, or maybe it's Keppa, K-E-E-P-A. Those are our three newest patrons uh, over at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Big, huge thanks to the three of them and to everybody who increased their pledges uh, in the month of uh, of March and April, months of March and April. Certainly appreciate that. And to everyone who supports this show and all of the shows at the podcast network. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you're enjoying all of the extra little treats that you're getting. I'm hoping that you're enjoying connecting your Discord uh, account and your Patreon account together so that you can get access to the live recordings that we do of uh, the Dueling Review podcast where you can sit in and listen to uh, Matthew and I discuss the show before it even goes and gets edited and sent out to the world. Plus, you get a little pre-show and post-show wrap that we uh, chat with you guys about. A lot of fun over there. Plus, extras like Why Do You Hate Me, Critical Hit a, uh, a Week Early, uh, character sheets, original art, uh, so much more. It can be found over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. That address again, patreon.com slash major spoilers. If you can contribute and help us keep major spoilers going, we certainly appreciate it. And I thank our newest patrons who joined over the last week at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right, we are going to jump into, I've given everybody a little bit of extra time to make sure that they are all caught up on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because that's what we're going to talk about this week instead of doing a trade paperback. Uh, A lot of people have been wondering what our thoughts are on this. Uh, There are a lot of mixed feelings about this uh, Disney Plus series online. Some people really, really love it. Some people have really, really, really hated it. And some people are like, that's kind of boring. I don't I don't get it. Why wasn't this just a movie? And so this week we're going to talk Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Rodrigo, what did you think of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? You've had time to watch every single episode. Sure. Uh, overall, I thought it was fine. Um, I, I feel like the only promise that the MCU ever makes to us is that a, there's going to be cool guys doing cool flips in this. And there's going to be like very high stakes and it delivers on that. Um, other than that, it gets into some stuff, you know, and it, I I think it tries to give time to some, uh, like real, you know, real life questions of, of what it's like to be black in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't know that it necessarily answers those questions or delivers on, on that, on the through line of those questions. Mm. Actually, what did you, what did you think of Falcon and Winter Soldier? Um, I think that when it was good, it was very good. And when it was bad, it was boring, generic, Marvel, uh, interesting. I think Sam's move, Sam's story, uh, was structured like a movie should have mm-hmm. been a movie. It's really too bad that, uh, some Disney exec didn't think that a black hero could carry a movie that 
wasn't explicitly called Black Panther, couldn't be called Captain America or Falcon mm-hmm. Cap or mm-hmm. anything or as, like that. Or as um, one of those moments in the his, in the movie where they're like, that's that's the Black Falcon. And the other guy's like, nope, that's Captain America. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I found the scenes with Isaiah Bradley very arresting. That was not a character I ever thought I would see. And uh, to have uh, someone as iconic as Carl Lumley play him, I thought that was like really, really amazing. Um, but I think the show should have been Bucky's story because um, the idea of recovery and making amends and the longer term storytelling of like a six episode arc fits better for that, in my opinion. Uh, but I will give the show bad props for being the first thing since the original Captain America, the Winter Soldier, wherein Sam debuted to touch back on to the fact that he is a trauma counselor and use that and use it well and use that to mm-hmm. say something like I thought mm-hmm. that. That some of that stuff was like very good and very poignant, but I mean, to anyone who loved it, that's amazing. But I defy you to tell me what the Flag Smashers wanted. <laughs> Matthew, what did you think of the show? I really enjoyed it, uh, and I think part of the reason that I did enjoy it was that it wasn't a movie. Because one of my biggest issues with Endgame is Endgame is a pretty solid watch, but it's not necessarily a coherent movie, and it's way too long. Whereas six hour long episodes broken up like this did give us a chance to digest a little bit differently and a little bit more of things that may not have made it into a film. Like that wonderful moment where Zemo is in the club and he's like just out of prison and he's running around dancing or, you know, that moment where Sam is like, don't flirt with my sister and Bucky's like, and it becomes kind of a little running gag for a minute. I really appreciated those moments and I felt like what it tried to say was important enough that even though it didn't really hit those points, it worked for me. And I feel like the point of the flag smashers was partly that there wasn't necessarily a coherent plan. Now, whether or not that's uh, the, you know, kind of a meta commentary or not, and whether or not that's insulting to people who may actually find some of what the Flag Smashers were looking for to be correct, I feel like the point of the Flag Smashers was that they didn't have a coherent point behind what they wanted to do other than, hey, you know, we'd like to not be the ones not in power, but I will say that the moments that worked worked really well, and the reveal of the Contessa is a moment where I'm just like, oh, I thought I'd hate this, but it actually works for me. And now I'm seriously mad at Marvel for making me almost like, you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and uh, Goldie Hawn's son. Yeah, I'm curious about the the Flag Smashers. Uh, from what it sounds like with you, Matthew, it sounds like they started out with the best of intentions, but it just went went sideways. And I think there was a really good conversation. Uh, I think it was in episode four where she is trying to explain to to um to sam you know kind of what they're wanting to do and they want to do it peacefully and they just kind of want to stay where they want to stay instead of being forced to go back to uh their countries of origin or wherever they immigrated from too and then of course it all just went sideways and uh they kind of as matthew said maybe didn't have a plan but what what did you think of the the flag smashers plan me yeah uh rodrigo rodrigo oh okay um Flag Smashers were interesting, but I, I, I kind of feel like they were there 
to tell Sam and Bucky's story. So I, I and 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 the uh, U.S. agent uh, Walker's story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I felt that they were kind of loose and moving around and doing different things based on kind of what things called for which when you look at what actions that the flag smashers take it's it's interesting because they actually get progressively more and more violent and progressively more like progressively less and less sort of compassionate and more aggressive while simultaneously the narrative kind of treats that in the opposite direction it's like they start out being seen as this very big threat. And then as uh, Sam and Bucky kind of learn more about really Carly, right? Is it Carly? Mm-hmm. Was, uh, yeah. Um, it's like, I-, I feel like they made uh, this character, like this cute lady. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe we should listen to them. And I, it feels like, if the narrative had played it like, you know, Bucky and uh, the Falcon are letting themselves, are, are like big old stupid white knights. And the moment that they realize that this is a lady, they change up what they're doing. And, you know, she either takes advantage of them or things change because of that. But it isn't. I feel like, I feel like a lot of times the show is appealing to our own internal white knights when we realize that actually it's this lady that's doing this and maybe she deserves a like like christ-like death even though she actually continues to get farther and farther and farther away from even her own cause right Mm -hmm. Um, and her own uh, explicit methods yeah isn't but isn't but don't the two of them do get caught up in white knighting because they're like, oh, Peggy Carter, we know that you've been treated poorly, so we're going to do everything, Sharon or not Peggy, Sharon Carter. Sharon Carter, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we we uh, treat you right. And then it turns out she's like this um, underground uh, nefarious person. She's the oh. power broker. Yeah. I think that that's, that's part of what people are troubled by, because uh, if you, you know, when you read the comics, I remember reading the first appearance of Flag Smasher in the original and Flag Smasher in the comics is a rich guy from Switzerland who's mad because his daddy got killed and wants to destroy all countries to punish other people because he did not have the happiest childhood in the world. And when you translated that into Carly, they intentionally put some questions on whether or not, you know, moments where you could go, oh, are the Flag Smashers really right? But the problem is with a story like this, the answer is always no, they can't be because it's going to end with, and now they fight. So you have to give, you know, Carly something worth punching. And even with Sharon's big twist where you're like, oh, Sharon, we're going to save you. Oh, it turns out, you know, Sharon has her own resources and she may or may not be behind all of this madness. But it's also a question of we've been, we've been led to believe that Sharon is one thing. And then when we get to the end, all of those interesting questions that were raised about should she be pardoned? Is she needing to be pardoned? You know, wh- who let this happen? Why is this bad? I'll get sort of subsumed into this action story trope of, well, while she was all out being told she was evil, she actually turned evil. Well, I wonder, I wonder if that's also not 
the the privilege part showing, you know, rearing its head. It's she's a white woman. How bad can she be? Kind of a moment where they're just like, oh, at least she's not a terrorist. And then right. we we realize that, oh, no, she really is a is a bad person. And, and you know, they've been uh, letting letting that the fact that they they have some kind of a relationship with her get in the way of of really seeing what is going on. Right. Well, I mean, she is an agent or was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I don't think we have yet seen any agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who's not morally compromised in mm-hmm. multiple ways. So, you know, evil is evil. Actually, I wonder, did you have any? I mean, I know you said that you didn't have any idea what the Flag Smashers were all about. Did, have you, were you just saying that because that's a general idea that a lot of people have brought up? Or, or do you have some no. Some no, like I that. truly like at at what point does anybody articulate or execute a thesis? Yeah, uh, I enjoyed Carly as a character. I thought she was incredibly well portrayed. I think it's a. I think you're wasting a fabulous actress, um, by by killing her like that. Um, you know, but I understand for the context of the show that that's what we want to do with her, and that's yeah. fine. But like, what do they what do they want? Why are they okay with killing some people and not? killing other like it's it's also murky to me and and there are all these persistent rumors about production and these heavy edits that went down because mm-hmm. originally the flag smashers released a virus and then disney was like oh no god forbid we actually said something about the world and walked that back and that's why yeah. sam has a 50 minute speech which anthony mackie does his best but it's kind of a clunky speech at the end i don't know i um, thought it was good like I, I wasn't being funny like i genuinely think that I genuinely think that the flag smashers is a stupid name and that their motives are unclear and superheroes are very, it's like, it's a black and white storytelling trope. And, um, you can get into the gray area, like a character like Eric Killmonger in the black Panther movie lives in that morally gray area. Mm. Um, but his thesis is very clear. Uh, and I understand what he wants and he's interesting and he's not just, Oh boy, we sure have Sharon Carter. I guess we best bring her back. Because she hasn't been in a movie for a while. Like, I think the bad guys in the show are not great. I think they're, they, they are one dimensional to an extent. They are very one dimensional. Um, but there are other things that I that I that I just noticed that, you know, the Flag Smashers were made up of people from many countries and many nationalities. And to have uh, John Walker come in and and just beat the crap out of them says a lot. Uh, says a well, lot well, about know, the Disney execs said that everybody forgave him and we're really happy that he's on the team now. Yeah, so it's okay. I don't know. But that that is certainly a message I'm where that you were right here. And now it's because he's going to be leading the team or he's going to be leading some offshoot of a team. And they oh, want and... us to be like, oh, isn't Captain America? Cute? Well, they, they mean, need that's... they need another bad guy for the future. Right. Because now he's part of uh, Madam Hydra's team. Guy. I think his time girl. is I think his tenure as a bad guy is over. I think that's what this series was. And I think this was I think. Somebody thought this was his, like, whatever the opposite of a heel turn is. And a face turn. He, thank you. That makes a lot of sense. And he uses Captain America's shield as a cudgel. <laughs> it's like, it's a great moment. And I think Wyatt Russell plays the hell out of it and did, did a fabulous job in the role. But the idea that, like, we're supposed to like him now because he, like, kind of apologized and because he, he missed his friend. I think is a tough pill to swallow at the end of that series. Yeah. And I'm, I'm personally me. I'm like, well, I, I don't buy this. Uh, you know, I don't buy him as the reformed hero. I can see that he is just, <sighs> okay. I'm not the one who should be talking about this because I'm a white guy, but I get the feeling that he had this idea of captain America stripped from him and he didn't like it. And so he got all 
up in arms about it and said, nobody's going to tell me what to do because I'm a white guy and I'm going to show them what it means to be Captain America. So I'm going to build my own little my own little flimsy uh, Captain America shield and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show everyone that I am important, too. And you can't take anything away from me. And that is his arc as a whiny baby man who uh, got his feelings hurt because someone else has has the shield and he was stripped of his actions because of beating someone to death who uh, is not white. And wow. and that is seems to to say a lot about, you know, again, Disney doesn't want to talk about the events of the things that are going on in the world. But certainly we can't look past, uh, you know, military or police actions, uh, uh, killing, killing people. And and that would be fine if that's the way the universe looked at it. Right. Right. But it isn't by the end of that last episode. He's getting nods from Falcon and, and the Winter Soldier and, or from Captain America and the Winter has now redeemed himself by punching the flag smashers a little bit and then holding onto a truck. Um, he has now, I guess, like it, it feels like the music is there, the shots are there, the looks between the characters are there. It's not earned, but it feels like a redemption. Right. Like it, it's, it, it rings hollow, but that's where they want to get you. Like I can see somebody being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't have Captain America kill someone. And it's like, no, 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 it's okay. We're going to, he's going to be U.S. agent. And U.S. agent has this whole thing in the government. It's like, shut up. No, turn this around. Like, we don't want this to be this. But, but they do it, right? It's like, you can't have it both ways. You can't have that episode, what, three, four, four. Um, moment in which he basically murders someone in cold blood in front of a bunch of people and then also this redemption in a show that's not about him. Right. No, if no, like, and I don't. And if I think we that's, had that's... then completely forgotten about uh, Falcon and the winter soldier and just followed this guy while he tries to redeem himself, then sure. Absolutely. Um, but it isn't, he actually kind of leaves the narrative for a little bit and then comes back. And then we're kind of, it's the same thing with Carly. We have there's these moments where it's like, oh, maybe she's just a confused kid. And there's these moments where it's like, why are you blowing up and like uh, a building full of people, Carly? And just like, then people will know we're serious, right? It's like, okay, I'm like, okay, that's a serious heel turn, right? From here on out, we're going to see her continue to get more and more violent or more and more intense. I don't know how I don't feel great about it, but okay, that's where they're going for. But they don't commit to that. They actually keep sort of bringing her back and pushing her down and bringing her back and pushing her down until she gets shot. And then, again, has this very, like, serene thing where, like, uh, the Falcon, like, Madonna and Child her uh -huh. down yeah. to some people. Or, you know, maybe, I, I guess. Maybe an angel. Yeah. It's and like, that's how they know. get the X-Men in the... Marvel Stop Cinematic it. We Universe. No, I guess it's. I guess to me, it's that. It's that mid credits. Uh, the mid credit sequence in the final episode where he comes out as U.S. agent, all dressed in black, and right. we realize that uh, Julio Louise Dreyfus is really playing Madame Hydra, and that you know the government is still uh, internally corrupt, that they don't know it, and U.S. agent isn't. I mean, he thinks he's working for the government. He thinks everything is okay, but, but we know that no, he's not. And they're going to continue to use him for their own means and ends, which does still does not make him a good guy. He thinks he's been absolved of all crimes, but I don't think that's the case. Now, when did they say she was Madam Hydra? I never caught that. They don't, they don't, they don't say that. 
Okay. Right. We don't know. We actually don't know who she is. Uh, like the the show gives no context for it. Right. And I think that part of that context was was supposed to be in the Black Widow film, which should have come out before um. this. But when I got to the end of this, I didn't feel like Walker was someone that we were supposed to feel was redeemed. I felt okay. like Walker was someone who he feels that he has been redeemed, who he feels like, hey, this is getting my mojo back, but he's clearly being manipulated by the Contessa. And when you get to the point at the end of that, when he's like, yeah, I'm back, I'm going to be a hero, awesome, it's almost pathetic to the point where I'm like, oh, you sweet summer child, you don't know that you're going to die in the next movie. Um, but I feel like, the, for me, the biggest weakness really is a weakness of almost every Marvel film, especially Captain America colon the winter soldier, which is the movie that people keep wanting to tell me is one of the best movies in the Marvel Ovra, And I just don't see it because it continually raises these questions and it continually takes mm -hmm. these moments of this is a real world question. Y'all we're talking about you and your world and how these things affect you, but they never ever consider the fact that when you get to the end of a comic book story, the good guy will punch the bad guy down and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, someone's going to lose and it's not going to be the person whose name is on the marquee. So, you know, throughout the winter soldier, we have all of that nonsense about Hydra and God help us. We have, you know, crossbones and all of that. But throughout, you know, the middle part of, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we get this bit with Zemo, where Zemo is basically on a buddy cop road trip across Europe with our main characters. And this is Zemo. This is, I mean, this is a mass murderer. He is, he is literally as much of a terrorist as the people that they're trying to take down. But we keep getting these moments of humanity. Mm -hmm. We keep getting these moments of Zemo being kind of awesome in the bar or that moment, you know, of he's out of line, but he's right you've got this character who is clearly a villain, but the story wants to say, Hey, even the villain might have a point, right. even the, the bad guy is the hero of his own story. But then we get to the end and we realize, Oh wait, it's not his story. Bye. Clud. I think, I think Zemo serves the point of, of trying to say that anyone who has these super, because there's no one else who I guess knows about I shouldn't say knows about the, the, the super soldier serum, but Zemo, but he's the one that has the most connection to it and seems to understand what the super soldier serum means. And that's why he wants to go and destroy anyone who uses it because he does have a very interesting conversation. I forget who it's with. Maybe it's with Bucky at some point where he's talking about how the super soldier serum amplifies, um, you know, amplifies what makes you, you. And that's why John Walker ends up being a, a total horrible person and Captain America, he says he's basically Zemo admits that Captain America is the only person who should have ever had the super soldier serum because he was perfect, right? To an extent. And he's afraid that, you know, if other people have it, that that's going to just lead to a race of of scary bad men. Uh, and that's what he's trying to do. That's, I think, the only reason that he was in there, because uh, otherwise I looked at Baron Zemo's role in this show and I was like, why, why is he here? He doesn't make a lot of sense. Ashley, did you well, ever and get he gets, And he gets taken out halfway through, right? He just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ashley, did you have any thoughts on, on Zemo in this? I think Daniel Brule's a great actor. Um, I think he was really 
not well used. Like pretty much everyone they cast as a villain um, mm-hmm. in Avengers Civil War, whatever one he was in that was pretending to be a Captain America movie, but was not a Captain America movie. Um, yeah, it's wild because a lot of the promotional stuff leading up to this was like, oh, Baron Zemo is playing such a huge role and you're mm-hmm. going to see him like you never did before. And like we barely even saw him with the mask on. And again, I enjoyed him because I enjoy Daniel Bruhl. I thought he was awesome since Goodbye Lennon. Like mm-hmm. I like him. Yeah. He was fun. He made some really strong choices. Did we need to spend three episodes rehabbing actual Nazi Baron Zemo with a cheesy dance sequence, further proving that Caucasian people should never dance? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and considering he goes away at the end again, this is why. I, don't think this should have been a television show. I feel like you can really feel them stretching um, to get six episodes. And there's like a really freaking great Sam Wilson movie hiding in here. That's like a two thirty. And I think Malcolm Spellman did the, the best he probably could under a pile of notes and executives to make this happen. And I am so excited for what his Captain America movie is going to look like. And there mm-hmm. are great moments, but like, Every time I talk about this show, I'm like, it's not, I am so glad WandaVision came first because I didn't think WandaVision was perfect by a long shot, but WandaVision, I feel like took bigger swings and and tried to use the TV format and it tried to do something different. And this was just a Marvel movie writ to six hours. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious. I, I think I forget who else said it. Maybe it was you, Ashley. Um, but the the black experience, Rodrigo had mentioned the black experience uh, in America and, and what does it mean to be black in the, in America, which I got from the very first episode that that's kind of what is going to be the central theme that runs through this, uh, especially when, you know, Sam goes to the bank with his sister and he's like, yeah, but I mean, like the Falcon and, you know, I'm the part of the Avengers. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's the Avengers. But we don't we don't make a habit of, uh, you know, loaning money to people with uh, with this uh, shady financial stability. And, and and I was just like, oh, so this is how they're just going to start subtly showing how black people in America are, you know, put down or the system is oppressing them every step of the way. And then, of course, when we get a, introduced to Isaiah Bradley, uh, you know, that makes it even more Im- impactful, uh, especially at, at this time when we look at what's going on with the pandemic and the number of uh, people in the black community who are hesitant to take uh, the vaccine, especially when you learn about the Tuskegee experiments, which I don't remember when I learned about it. It was definitely back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s when I learned about it and was just appalled and horrified. Um, but apparently, you know, just bringing this up in this show got a lot of people to go. I'd never heard that the government, uh, you know, gave syphilis to to black well, same men thing with the with the Tulsa race massacre. Right. Yeah, yeah. And Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that. As we look every step of the way, it 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 seems to just kind of focus on that, and I th- and I think it's probably more apparent when Sam doesn't feel like he should be the one that's Captain America. He does. It, it seems like at the beginning of the show, he knows that he is not Captain America material, and so he wants the shield to be retired. But the government is like, no, we still want a Captain America. But instead of going to Sam Wilson, who was given the shield at the end of uh, in game. Uh, we're just going to give it to another white guy who's blonde and blue eyed and say, hey, you're new Captain America. And so he has to struggle through that throughout the piece. And whether we're seeing the black experience through Sam's eyes or Isaiah's eyes or Sam's sister's eyes 
or even when um uh, the, uh, the, uh, what is it? The, uh, Dora, Milaje, I forget how you say that. Dora, Dora, Dora Milaje show up and they're like, yeah, everything that you guys have, we basically did that, you know, basically the technology that, that Bucky uses in his arm has its roots in, in black history and, and, and what they were doing in Wakanda. Uh, and he just takes everything for granted. And so by the time that Sam steps up and says, I, I, you know, I should be Captain America. He's gone through that experience of seeing seeing what it means to be black in America through so many different people's eyes that I think that by the time we get to Captain America, him becoming Captain America, I think it's a well-deserved journey. But I'm not sure you could do that in two and a half hours. That's that's my concern. If that's what they were trying to get get a, across, which I think they were as the overall theme in this, um, I don't I don't think they could have done it in two and a half hours to get that's, that many different viewpoints. That that's interesting because my read was not. Sam didn't feel he was worthy of being Captain America, but rather Sam didn't think that he should or he wanted to be Captain America, right? It's like, uh, to me, uh, part of what feels weird about this show is that it does invoke that. It does invoke, hey, this is what it's like to be black in America. You know, it's like, I'm not black, obviously, um, but um, we hear about all of these things. And we see all these things happening to other people. And I, like, I'm watching this show and it's making those arguments too well. Isaiah says no black person would want to be Captain America. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was like, I heard him say that. And I was like, you're right. You're right. You know, and it's like, I'm walking out of this thing and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm siding with the guy that says that black people would shouldn't want to be Captain America and with uh, Sharon Carter, you know, that agent that got burnt by her own government for doing the right thing and became an international criminal. I'm like, are those two the viewpoints that I was supposed to be leaving this and saying these are the guys that did nothing wrong? Well, you know, that's interesting because I listened to Mark Bernard and kind of give his thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier overall. Uh, I think it was on the Fat Man on Batman podcast with uh, Kevin Smith. And he said at one time he was thinking of joining the military because he thought it was it was going to be interesting. It was going to be cool. And, I, and, and one of his I don't think it was his father. Maybe it was an uncle or somebody pulled him aside and says, you do not want to be a black man in this in this U.S. Army. Uh, and basically echoing a lot of the same things that Isaiah Bradley was getting across about no black man would ever want to be Captain America. And, I, you know, I think that that's interesting that that is that is a sentiment that is a, that is a thought. And I think that that. I think that's also very complicated for Sam because he thinks that he, I mean, at one point they call him uncle Sam, you know, he's his, his nephews call him uncle Sam. And it's just like, wow, you know, it's just, um, it's just very complicated. And I think that's maybe the other thing that this story is trying to say is that it is very complicated throughout and it's not, and it is not just cut and dried. I would agree. And I feel like part of the reason that I appreciated having the extra length was so they could not just address those things because I mean, you can't just bring them up and say, yep, that sucks. And then move on, but you know, kind of allow the viewer to sit with it for a little while. And even if it did mean that there were moments that were like, Oh my God, it's the third episode in a row of let's all talk about super soldier serum. But you did have time for the characters to kind of marinate a little bit 
and get something that you wouldn't get. Even in a movie, you know, two and a half hours for me, too long. That is just too much time, especially to send to spend in an uncomfortable theater. Scene. Oh man, so, don't watch the the Snyder cut then. There is no chance in hell that I was ever <laughs> going to watch the Snyder cut. But moreover, you know, this is a sequel to a movie that's nearly a decade old at this mm-hmm. point. You know, Civil War and the the Captain America or what was it, Avengers Two, uh, Ultron derivative, whatever it was. These movies are seven and eight years old, and we're picking up these plot lines like nothing ever happened. I feel like that part was the harder part to get into rather than, you know, the the obvious attempt to raise these real world questions in a framework where you just can't have a satisfying answer. Yeah, I think that's it is. It's a weakness of Marvel. It's a weakness of Marvel's movies and Marvel's comics is that. You get into like Civil War. Civil War was Tony Stark wanted to be really, really authoritarian. Captain America didn't believe it. You got the fascists versus the libertarians. They clang, they clang, they clang, and eventually it comes to a big and down they fight, and the fascists win. And then you come out of Civil War going, hey, what happens in a world where the fascists win? Well, the answer is we have to retcon it in 18 months. You know, and it's it's funny the, that's that the problem that these movies have is that they don't think about well, you're going to have to retcon this anymore. But months. but the but the funny thing is, and maybe this is the universe trying to balance itself out. And Ashley, I want you to jump in on this. Uh, it seems like, as as I think Ashley said earlier, that Disney wants to distance itself from controversy, and yet, unfortunately, you get to uh, the whole world is watching episode, and that's the same week that you know uh, you know we have a big uh, uh, I forget if it was the verdict came out that week. Uh, in the George Floyd murder, or if it was another, you know, a kid was shot uh, by cops. Uh, well, both of those things happened on the same day. Oh, so. on the same day. Okay, so there you go. So yeah, I think it must have been it must have been that week. But it's just like, yeah, you're trying to avoid it, but the universe is just like, no, we're going to make sure that these things, uh, oddly and coincidentally, run into each other. We run into I this. Mean, I, I... I firmly believe that the only reason that anything like that even made it into a a Disney produced show is because of Malcolm Spellman. Because if um, he's done a lot of really great interviews because he's got all the hype because he's doing the Captain America movie mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he stated that like his inspiration for the show was the scene at the end of Endgame where Steve gives Sam the shield and he says, how does it feel? And he says it feels like it belongs to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that as a black man that to him that statement made a lot of sense and that was where like the ethos of the show came from and i think that's why those moments are the moments that in my opinion resonate the most there's a couple other exceptions but i think when you think about the most exceptional moments they're all like sam centric mm-hmm. yeah uh so malcolm spellman was the executive producer of the of the show he also wrote the first and last episodes uh of the show um, and, but there was a lot of other, you know, writers involved in this as well as you might have in a writer's room. But one of the things that did strike me was that they, and I think this was the same thing with WandaVision. They stuck with the same director for all six episodes. Uh, Kari yeah, Skoglin. Package people and get them for cheaper that way. Uh, yeah, and I think so. But also I, it saves COVID protocols as well. And this show is obviously plagued by COVID. True, true, true. But I also wonder if it doesn't also help, um, maintain a voice or a oh, for sure, for throughout. Sure, for sure. And I kind of like that. And I, and I like that. I, I kind of like some of the things that, that, that Kari um, or Carrie uh, Scoglin did. And I would like, I honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing more of, of her stuff uh, in the near future. Um, she worked on the handmaid's tale. 
She's worked on what else has she did uh, done? Uh, she worked on the L Word as far as uh, television shows go. Um, let's see, The Punisher. She did four episodes, or she did episode four in season one of that. Uh, she did what is it? The Rook or The Rock? I know it's The Rook. Episode one. So she's got some some good TV experience. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see more of uh, her maybe doing some some not long form episodic stuff, but I would like to see her maybe uh, be tapped to do some some movie stuff in the future. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts that you guys have on this? So bottom line, even though, you know, I really enjoyed some of the themes and messages that were running throughout the show, uh, I'm going to kind of side with this was a fine show Th- after about the second week after episode two, I was like, eh. I'm not super interested jumping up first thing Friday morning. And this is the thing that I must see. Unlike with WandaVision, if I see it sometime today, that's fine. And if I see it on Saturday, that's okay too. And if I have to wait till Sunday, that's no, it's no skin off my nose. It's not going to, it's not going to bother me that much. And so my overall experience for Falcon and the Winter Soldier was it's a fine show. I, I kind of wanted a little bit more in this, and there were definitely things, as we've talked about tonight, that didn't sit well with me, uh, but the things that worked worked really well, and the things that didn't just seemed to slog down the show, and that's what I think was my overall feeling was just that it was, it was fine. It was an okay show. Uh, um, Rodrigo, what, what are your final thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Um, I, I feel close to that. I, I also... Uh, I also I started getting up early or when I first thing when I got up on Friday, I would watch uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and then it started to overlap with Invincible. So then I flipped those. I would watch Invincible first and see if I had time for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this uh, I, I think this show tried to be everything at once. Um, and you know, whether it was because of like executive meddling or COVID or whatever, it just tried to be everything. It tried to be Sam's story. It tried to be Bucky's story. It tried to be John Walker's story. It tried to be Carly's story. It tried to be a thing about how people get displaced and maybe they become, uh, radicalized or guerrillas or whatever to get what they want, but also that's bad. But also is it like the show mm-hmm. never comes down hard on anything. And so by the end of it, I was like, what was this show saying? And it really is like, look at how cool the wings look with the shield, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which they do. This show looks very good. It's a very good looking show. Um, and something that I'm happy to have just kind of playing in the background while I'm like washing the dishes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I thought it was OK. All right, uh, Matthew, final thoughts from you. I think it was a, you know, if you were going fine, I definitely think it's very fine. Maybe even uh, on the downside of good. It's a 6.0 for me simply because it can't successfully grapple with all the things that it wants Mm -hmm. to grapple with. But in so doing and taking it and kind of breaking all of these pieces up and having, oh, look, here's Zemo. Oh, wait, here's Sharon bumping back and forth and going to Madripoor and jumping over here made it feel like the closest thing I've seen until Invincible popped up to an actual superhero storytelling method to the traditional here's an episode, here's an episode, the episodic storytelling of classic Marvel. And I enjoyed that. And I feel like the actors did a lot of really good things with it. There's only one 
problem that I had with the actors anywhere in this, and it also kind of disappeared once I saw it. But as soon as I saw Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I was like, uh... And then she started talking, and I was like, okay, I can deal with this. But, you know, other than that, I feel like the biggest downside of it all is the moments where we're clearly making sure that there are no implications in any of this, but also our main character is a biracial young woman who is saying things that progressives are saying in the real world, and we have to punch her out at the end. And I'm like, you had me, and then you missed it, and you didn't stick the landing, but I still enjoyed the show most of the time. Yeah. Ashley, final thoughts? Um, I think the show was trying to do a lot of things. I think think it does some of them successfully it has it starts two of my favorite actors and two of my favorite characters currently in the mcu and so i'm very sorry that the show that stars one of my least favorite marvel characters of all time was more interesting um than the more intentional than this one um but I'll, i'll say this i watched one episode of this when it aired I watched the other five while I was unpacking and cooking. So mm. that probably tells you about where my emotional investment was. Yeah. I, I, um, I found myself scene, looking at the man, cell phone the an awful lot with, with the statue at the end was mm-hmm. really lovely. Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. 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 And I think um, the other thing that, that kind of uh, that occurs to me is that if you look at uh, Sam Wilson's journey through this, he does kind of follow the hero's journey where he, you know, refuses the call. And then by the end, He's got the Wakandan uh, Falcon suit, the the Captain America Falcon suit, and he's got his boon and he's got his thing. So it, it does kind of follow that that kind of story arc. So there's nothing I don't think there's anything super uh, inventive in this. Uh, it looks kind of cool in places, but uh, there you go. So listeners, what are your thoughts? Jump into our discord server and talk with everyone else. You can jump into the movie section. Uh, but I think most of the conversation have has been in the television section and the television channel and everybody was in there week after week. And of course they were using the, um, the hidden tag so that they weren't spoiling anything, but you know, the show's over now. You guys can unhide everything and talk all you want about, about the show and share your thoughts. That's over, over there on our discord server. So thank you everyone who participates uh, in that. And I think that's where we're going to wrap it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience. As Steven just said, we love your feedback. Something, something discord server, share your thoughts and reactions to all the cool things we said in this episode. Or drop us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. And you might hear your words on an upcoming episode. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We will be back next week. Oh, Ashley, next week, another episode just for you. Star Trek meets the Legion of Superheroes. That's next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. What do you think about, about it? 
way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little me would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.